Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. I'm John Ike. My latest book is Nine Houses and Nine Stories. So... I have to start with the cover. Let me ask you about the choice of chartreuse for the cover. And that's the name of the color, right? Yeah, that's what I would describe it as. And and maybe the lettering is vermilion. And and you don't Um, have a home prominently displayed on the cover either. I'd love to hear about the design decision. I obviously love architecture. I'm an architect. Um, But I do love interiors as well. And furniture and interior architecture. So I thought it was best to sort of put something really provocative in terms of an image on the front. You know, stairs are super architectural. And so that was the decision for that. Honestly, the whole book was pretty easy to do. The cover was probably the most difficult to get something that the publisher liked and I felt represented the work in the book. And so we went through a couple of iterations and really ended up with that. And then the coloring was really, I mean, in when I do an architectural project, I always think in terms of precedence and different kind of inspirations. And the methodology for us designing a house has always been to kind of assemble a bunch of sources. And then the the kind of individuality comes with the integration of these different sources. Same thing with designing a book. I found a bunch of books that I love and kind of use them as inspiration. And this cover in particular owes a lot to a fairly recent Alex Katz monograph, sort of the architectural equivalent of of that. The book represents nine recent projects. It celebrates the bond between the architect and those who implement the vision. Now, what was it like to narrow the book down to only nine houses? A lot of it happened organically until probably two months away from press. It was 10 houses, 10 stories. Then one of the uh, owners of the house got cold feet and was publicity shy. And when I had actually started the book, I thought that I might be self-publishing. And then a good friend of mine um, who is in the book business, uh, both from a publishing point of view and in the bookstore, said, you know, you really have to get a real publisher because this work is good and it should see the light of day. And I'm concerned if you self-publish, you'll really be doing yourself a disservice. And so that owner who made it go from 10 to 9 had actually liked the self-publishing, liked the limited run, and felt nervous when it may have greater exposure. And so they dropped out. And there had been other projects that have been considered and most of them were sort of fell by the wayside because of owners concerns of publicity which is you know a, a, a real normal thing in architects and designers lives you have a lot of clients who want to remain anonymous or basically not show their hand and so that was really one of the factors that sort of determined it being nine and then fortuitously nine is an interesting number. Basically, from an architectural point of view, a nine-square plan is like a perfect Palladian plan. And then I think in numerology, nine has 
fairly significant meanings as well, but it was really nothing so sort of orchestrated. So it was interesting to me that your involvement in these nine projects was different from mentor to principal architect and designer. And in each chapter, you focus the attention on a person who was instrumental in realizing the project. Talk a little bit about that. I've always liked having partners and then, you know, builders are incredibly important and craftspeople and of course clients. And so there are just a a myriad of relationships in architecture as in most fields, but particularly in architecture, you know, you're really orchestrating, you know, an entire symphony of collaborators. So... This book pays respect to your work, and it marks the official end to your 34-year run of Ike Kligerman Barkley, since you've split into three successor firms. So tell me a little bit about your new venture, Ike Baker Velton. We formed a office in San Francisco in 2008, basically as a result of getting a, a really nice job out there with some clients, and then they kind of dragged us in and forced us on Stanford University to do a building there. But they said, the caveat is you have to open an office. And so we opened an office in 2008, basically continued working there and would run jobs in Hawaii and Uh, Colorado out of that, as well as local California jobs. And in the process, you know, we really got some great people. And Carl joined, can't remember, it was 10 or 12 years ago. And then Tyler Velton, probably in the last eight years. And they were instrumental in really operating that office, finding work, executing the work. And we're all kind of like-minded. So when Tom and I decided to sort of split, it made perfect sense to bring these guys in. I mean, Carl's almost 50 and Tyler's in his late 30s, early 40s. And they're super competent people and we work well together. And, you know, it just seemed right to kind of share this new experience with them. So this book wouldn't be possible without the stunning, stunning photographs. With your projects, did you always have photographers on hand to document the process? How did that work? Um, Yeah, and that's something I learned from Bob Stern. He always recorded all of his work with, you know, great photographers. And for the longest time, he used Peter Aaron. So we, we learned that you always photograph. And... We always owned our own photography and, you know, over the years, it becomes quite a collection. But more than that, you just learn the power of photography because especially with houses, the number of people who get to see them are really few and far between. And so you're really dependent on the quality of the photography, you know, to convey the essence of what you've designed there. And equally important, and we learned this in later years, was styling. We worked quite a bit with uh, Anita Sarsidi, who has a background in uh, editorial and wasn't really trained as one, but just has a fantastic eye. And so she can interpret what the camera sees and stage the, the photographs in such a way that they are the most powerful they can be. And so... There were others, uh, Philip Davies, and um, I can't remember her name from California, France, and uh, was her last name. Nicole. Who also, Nicole Franzen, yeah. Yep. And, and then I have to, you know, really give 
a shout out to Mary Shanahan, who was the book designer, who was a uh, art director at Rolling Stone from the late 70s till the, I don't know, the early 90s. And she just has an incredible sensibility and just such so easy to work with and just a natural. And so with Mitch Owens writing, I had a fantastic team, which is the same way you put together a building. And to speak to the power of photography, some of these photos just depict texture, like the close-up of tile or the chandelier. Or with Tyler's house, there's a tightly zoomed-in shot of a beam, I think with windows, and it's close to the ceiling. It's very artistic, but you get a feeling of the entire place. You know, that's why details are absolutely key to evoking, you know, the, the quality of a place. So one of my favorite projects in the book is Oddfellows Hall in Brooklyn, Maine, on page one. 19. Robert A. Baird wrote the foreword for this project, and um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about him and your relationship. I've known Robert since uh, the, the 1980s. He is from Salt Lake City. His father was a prominent architect in Salt Lake, and one of his uh, aside from doing a number of churches for the Mormon Church, they were involved in the restoration of a cast iron building in downtown Salt Lake City. And so they were the in on the ground floor of cast iron. And so when Soho in New York started to pop, they were one of the first ones called. Long and short, um, Robert actually started out working for the Department of Historic Preservation, and his area of uh, expertise was maritime architecture and actually boats. And so yeah, he bought a house in the 90s in Brooklyn, Maine, and moved there. And I had actually been to Brooklyn for the first time in the 70s, early 70s, when I did an outward bound thing at Hurricane Island and was pretty familiar with that part of Maine. And then we started vacationing up there, you know, and uh, when I was in college, we'd go camping. And the Oddfellas Hall would had been sitting in neglect. It was owned by a guy from New York who used it as martial arts studio. Been on the market for a while. And, you know, I'd said to Robert, somebody should buy that and fix it up. And he said, well, why don't you, you know? <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? <laughs> and the price was, it was a great price. And so I decided to do it. And then I said, I'm not doing this alone. As usual, I need partners. And so we, um, we talked to Steve White, who is the grandson of E.B. White who was a was the sort of mainstay of Brooklyn. Um, his son, Joel, started a, a wooden boat shop um, in the 60s or 50s, and Steve grew up through it. And so um, we kind of dragged him into the deal. And then um, Robert joined, and so we each took a floor, and Steve uh, used the ground floor, which was a former shop and post office and, and he made it into a kind of boutique boat shop and then uh mine was this sort of ceremonial hall on the top floor and so we did minimal restoration and then i parked my collection of mid-century italian furniture in there and it Basically, it's an Airbnb now. And Robert did the same on the second floor, which was more of a com community uh, center 
uh, with a stage and everybody who grew up in Brooklyn from the 20s on, you know, went to a dance there or something like that. So we basically each did our own thing, but collectively, you know, we're, we get along great. It's a, a super cool restoration. And Robert ended up doing all the construction on the restoration, which was not insignificant. Um, so there are now modern buildings with insulation and plumbing and electricity but retain a lot of the old finishes and all the windows were restored. So they're all old windows. Um, and so it's a um, collaborative restoration effort. And I think that, you know, Robert says it spurred some development along the street. Uh, between there and the little downtown, which may have happened on its own, you know, during this kind of build up of, over the past 10 years. But it's not an example. And we won, I think, awards for from the state for preservation. You mentioned that it's an Airbnb now, so we can stay there. Yep, you can rent it. Yep, yep. I love it. So where can we find you on the web and social media? Our website is ikebakervelton.com, um, and there are links to everything there. So we're there. <laughs> That's good. Well, I adore this book, and I cannot thank you enough for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and... Um, uh, I love what you're doing. Thanks. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book. <laughs>